When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you, it's time to party. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me for episode 226 of the show is my co-host, Keaton DeRocher. What's up, man? Oh, ready to dive on into that trade deadline, baby. Yeah, so we gave you the little primer. Uh, If you haven't listened to that little quick hitter, uh, it's about 16 minutes long. Go ahead and give that a quick listen. Uh, We gave our uh, our initial reactions to the trade. Uh, deadline and all the things that the Red Sox did and did not do uh, at the trade deadline. So on today's episode, uh, as promised, we are going to get into the minutia uh, of the roster, how it's currently constructed post-trade deadline, um, what it could look like uh, in a couple weeks when some other pieces are added to it. Um, And then we're going to go ahead and re-rank the teams in the division uh, going forward for how we think they look post-trade deadline, uh, considering all of the additions that were made um, by the AL East teams. So let's get right into it, Keaton. Let's start off with some roster thoughts at the very top of this episode. Uh, some amazing news coming up here. Chris Sale, after throwing 81 pitches uh, last outing in AAA, is going to be starting on Saturday, it seems like. Um, and if everything goes well with that start, he is due to come back on August 12th versus Tampa Bay at Fenway Park, a game that you have tickets to. Yeah, super excited about that. More importantly, um, having him go against Tampa, who just swept you, I think is a great thing for the team and the morale to get him out there to get a win against Tampa. So... Lots of positives there, particularly just in general him being back. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing right there is just this rotation um, has not been looking very good. Um, so getting a guy like Chris Sale healthy back at the top of this rotation 
that could be huge. So, you know, last time we were on the podcast together, Keaton, just a couple days ago, uh, you teased how bad the pitching has been lately. And it's easy to kind of see that on the surface. I mean, if you look at it, the only guy with an ERA under four in this rotation right now is Nathan Eovaldi. And we've seen some ERAs really ballooning over the last uh, month or so, especially that of Pavetta and Martin Perez and, you know, Ebrod with the uh, the last bad start that he had. There's a, a lot of names trending in the wrong direction. So can you give us a little update on what's going on with the rotation as a whole? Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, this definitely happened to me, and I'm sure it happened to others, but pitching was my number one ask at the trade deadline because of this basically like they started off so well uh basically with the exception of eduardo rodriguez and i think that image of all of those pitchers pitching very well uh were stuck in a lot of red sox fans minds um but those numbers were uh in march and april they were 11th in the american league uh these are era ranks so they were 11th sorry not in the american league Major League Baseball, both leagues. March and April, they were 11th with a 3.94 ERA. Real good start. Also kind of weighed down by uh, a couple stinkers from Eduardo Rodriguez. Then in May, they were 20th with a 4.45 ERA. In June, they were 21st with a 5.32 ERA. And in July, they were 20th with a 4.74 ERA. Overall, they are 20th with a 4.62 ERA. That's bad. And something that also kind of got lost, we talked about how great this offense is and how the Red Sox lead Major League Baseball in comeback victories. But the root cause of that would be poor starting pitching, putting them in a hole in the first place, and then having the bats and the bullpen bail them out. So that was why starting pitching was my number one ask at the trade deadline and why I was disappointed that they didn't do anything about it to address it. I mean, we know Chris Sale's coming back, but really it's like it's those back three um you know, Eduardo Rodriguez at least seemed last start notwithstanding that um he was kind of turning things around heading in the right direction of all these been great all year uh but Richards Perez and Pavetta have been bad for a while now uh Chris Sale obviously replaces one of those I'd like to see Tanner Hauck replace the other and then I was hoping for a move at the deadline to replace the third and feel much better about that rotation going into a playoff series against an offense like Tampa or Houston or Oakland who added to their offense. Um, I'm worried about it, man. I'm worried about it. It doesn't look great. Yeah, I'm worried about it too. Um, You know, looking at the numbers on the surface here, um, there are just so many candidates to be replaced. I mean, over the last 30 days, uh, Nathan Eovaldi's ERA is 4.94. Nick Pavetta's is 5.0. Um, Erod's is 6.6, uh, Garrett Richards is 5.95 and Martin Perez is 6.26. Now, obviously you're not going to replace Nathan Eovaldi. He's a lock for the rotation. You can't replace Eduardo Rodriguez unless he's injured because of the, the ceiling and the stuff. And we know that he's inconsistent, but he also comes through. I don't think you can replace Nick Pavetta, um, because, uh, his numbers actually, if you look at his FIP and things like that, have been a little bit better. He's deserved a little better than he's got over the last couple of days. His FIP is actually, or 30 days, I should say, his FIP is actually 4.19 over that time period. And his ex-FIP is 4.18, so it's like right in line with that. Um, Erod's FIP over the last 30 days, 3.36. So, you know, that last blow up notwithstanding, um, he's still pitched well. But if you look at Garrett Richards and Martin Perez, their FIP is 6.21 for Richards and 6.20 for Martin Perez. Perez, though, has a better ex-FIP, 4.11. So if if you're deep diving into into those numbers a little bit more, Perez is... um, has been slightly better, but I think you could make the case that both Richards and Perez uh, need to be replaced. But my question for you, Keaton, um, is, you know, looking at how things line up and Chris Sale coming back, is it anybody else other than Garrett Richards or is he clearly the guy that needs to go? Yeah, I mean, he's a completely different person without sticky stuff. And that's not what the Red Sox were paying him for, basically. It's not what they thought they were going to get out of him. 
Um, they have given him a chance to figure it out on the fly. And when you're fighting for a division with a team like Tampa, you can't drag that out. So, I mean, we know what Martin Perez is. Um, I agree with you. I think both need to be replaced. But first things first, Chris Sale coming back. Yeah, you're just you're just not getting what you wanted out of Richard. So I wouldn't try and just drag that out. I would just get get him moved to the the pen. Maybe um, I don't know how it really fits in the pen though. That's the thing that I'm struggling with because he's he's been good in in short spurts, like an inning plus, but it's not the first inning. So yeah. like in the first two innings is when he tends to get wrecked and then he figures it out after that for the next two innings and gets through four innings in a start. I wouldn't feel great about him coming in to pitch one inning to try and figure it out on the fly. If he only needs to get three outs, I don't think he can figure it out in three outs. So I, no, I don't I really don't know what – I mean, his last – I think it was his last start. Um, He, he – I kind of figured it out and got through the first and second fine and then started to get hit in the third, gave a bunch of runs in the fourth. Uh, but that was the first time that we had seen him do that since the Zicky stuff. The other, every other start that he's had, he's been hammered in the first and second inning. So I don't like that doesn't really fit in the bullpen. So I don't know if that's how they would want to use him. I think at that point it would just be cut loose completely. Yep, that's kind of what I'm thinking, man, because when, when I'm looking at this bullpen here, it would have to be one of uh, Austin Davis, who you just acquired, Yaxel Rios, who's been pretty good, and then Phillips Valdez, Captain Phillips, who's been awesome in his long relief uh, role lately. Those would be the candidates um, to to be replaced by Garrett Richards, and I don't want him replacing any of those guys. I don't even know how he would feel about being moved to the bullpen, whether he would pout about that. His personality from what we've seen kind of tells me that he probably would. I think the Red Sox just need to simply cut bait with him. And you know what? It sucks that you paid the guy $10 million to, you know, have the type of year that he's having, but you're the Red Sox. You can afford to uh, eat that whatever uh, money that's left of him and, Cut them loose and, and just move on. I think that that's going to be the cleanest solution here. Yeah, I think so too. Because I don't think there would like a situation where, um, you know, like he passes through waivers and they can send him to like AAA or something like that on a minor league deal or whatever. I don't think he'd take that either. So I think he would elect free agency and, and head out. So I think that's kind of where it's headed. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of um, Martin Perez, Gary, uh, I should say Tanner Houck is not eligible to come back to the major leagues until the seventh. So you have some more time to to look at him and explore whether or not you want to make a move, uh, putting him Martin Perez in the bullpen and adding Tanner Houck uh, to the starting rotation. Um, it is pretty well documented that Tanner Houck is really really good through the first three innings or so, the first time through the lineup and. Second and third time through the lineup, his stuff starts to diminish in effectiveness. Um, so there is a pretty solid argument, I think, that could be made that Tanner Houck should be used out of the bullpen and Martin Perez should be allowed to start. And maybe what you do there is you kind of piggyback those two guys um, or you know, use Tanner Houck in just high leverage fireman situations similarly to how you're using Garrett Richards. I could see a lot of merit to that, especially down the stretch. Uh considering the usage rates for some of those high-end bullpen arms like Matt Barnes and Adam Adovino and Garrett Whitlock, just to kind of keep those guys fresh, maybe you rely on Tanner Houck out of that role to, to eat some of those innings. Maybe I'd rather just start with Houck and then hand it over to Whitlock and piggyback those two than still have Perez in the mix. Yeah, the the problem with that, though, is like you still have – almost two full months of baseball left to play. You know, you can't... I don't think you can start piggybacking uh, Hauk and Whitlock um, right now because I think, you know, that essentially takes away Whitlock as an option for you in other games where he would otherwise be used. Yeah, 
I'm willing to sacrifice that because I feel strongly about the rest of the bullpen around him, like Josh Taylor and Sawamura. Okay. And the addition of Robles, I think, would give them that freedom because Robles could be that high-leverage replacement. So why not just piggyback Hauk and Perez? Because I don't think Perez is good. Okay. All right. Yeah, I've got a little bit more faith in Perez than you do, so... I mean, that's pretty well documented. Perez is my guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, I don't think Perez is the type of dude that if you had to move him to the bullpen in a long relief role, that he would complain about it. He seems like a pretty good team guy. Yeah, I would agree. All right, let's move down to um, the hitting side of things. So Kyle Schwarber reportedly could be ready um, right around the time that Chris Sale is scheduled to come back on the 12th so um they said two weeks about two or three days ago um so that would line up right around that same time he's also said in a couple of quotes and i'm paraphrasing here because i don't have the exact quotes in front of me that he's a good athlete um and he's excited about learning first base and doesn't seem to be too concerned about that um my question to you keaton is when schwarber comes back to this lineup uh, who gets replaced? Is it Bobby Dahlbeck? Is it Franchi Cordero? If Duran continues to struggle, uh, does Jaron Duran get sent down? Um, who Who is it out of out of that grouping for you who gets replaced by Schwarber? Well, I mean, you mentioned Franchi's been a little bit better since he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, because we still got two weeks to figure it out, then maybe... Um, he would then uh, if he's figured it out then maybe Dahlbuck but I think I mean I think those are definitely the two guys um, Dahlbeck and, and Franchi you wouldn't you wouldn't consider sending down Durant no I don't think I would okay because even if so even if they go with like we talked about briefly on the, the primer if they go with uh, if Durant continues to struggle and they go with um, Schwarber in the outfield with Renfro and Verdugo, I think Duran still adds value on the bench as a fourth outfielder, uh, being that speed guy off the bench and defensive replacement at times, and then use you know that experience as a way to acclimate to the major leagues. I think that still benefits him more than going back down to AAA, yeah. and benefits the Red Sox more. Um, so I, I still think it's it's Franchi and Dahlbeck. Um Yeah, it's. I guess. I mean, I don't think Francis is going to figure it out. So I, I, it's probably him. But he is more versatile than Dalbuck. He can play a few other positions in the outfield and could be kind of like a speed guy as well. So I think it's. No, they probably want a platoon first. Yeah, it's probably Franchi. Yeah, that's my feeling too. I think it's Franchi, um, just because Bobby Dahlbeck is effective at hitting lefties. So if you're yep. thinking about, you know, easing Schwarber into a platoon and giving him some time at DH and some time in left field, um, I think Dahlbeck is the cleaner fit for the roster. I agree with you fully about Duran. I don't know how much, you know, another month at AAA or whatever uh, would really help him. Where, you know, if you are going to have that outfield alignment uh sometimes of of schwarber verdugo and um renfro it would be kind of nice late in games to be able to sub in duran uh for for schwarber uh and move some guys around and uh have that speed on the base paths so even if he's not playing every day i agree with you i think that's more beneficial to him and the team um so yeah i think it's franchi um i have i have to give credit though franchi has looked much better i think his swings look better um so i'm not totally closing the book on franchi as a player but i think that really that's probably something that we're going to have to look towards next year for to see whether or not you know he ends up being a a real piece for this team i don't i don't know if it's this year what what are your thoughts on that are you, you looking down the road with him yeah i think you have to I mean, unless he does something rather amazing over the next couple weeks, which I'm not anticipating. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose he could. But, nah. Not feeling it. Yep, I agree. 
All right, moving down uh, lower on the roster, Marwin Gonzalez has had two rehab starts so far at Worcester on the 30th and the 31st. Uh, it seems like he's getting very close to coming back. Uh, Jonathan Arayuz would be the guy who is replaced on the roster. Um, Santana and Arroyo, not back anytime soon. Uh, I have to say, Keaton, I've missed Marwin Gonzalez much more than I thought I was going to. Uh, between the amount of time that we had to see Chavis and uh, RAUs make some mental errors, I'm kind of, uh, you know, excited to get the slick glove of Marwin Gonzalez back. I know that he's not, like, the best hitter, but, man, he's solid with that glove. Yeah. Uh, I think, I don't know if I've missed him as much as you have, but... Uh, having that versatility on the bench, I think, I think that's more of the piece. Maybe not the like the specific person, but just that versatility. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, you know, the the fact that he can play first base too in a pinch—that's kind of like uh, it's kind of attractive too. Especially if you're going to be mixing Schwarber into the mix at that position. Um, you know, having the ability to put him there. I actually think Marwin's a better first baseman than even Dalvek right now. Um, so it's it's uh, it's interesting to have that piece. Um, and also, he's kind of a Yankee killer. So uh, don't hate that at all. Um, looking down at the bullpen a little bit, we did have another move there. Darwin's and Hernandez hit the IL with a mild oblique strain when Robles and Davis were acquired. Um, I assumed that this oblique strain had a lot to do with his 6.88 uh, walks per nine um, that he had. So I guess my question here for you, Keaton, is about the pen for the rest of the season. I mean, does does Darwinson work himself back into this unit, or is it just kind of too good and too full for somebody who walks that many people? Yeah, I think that he can. Um, and, you know, we we were kind of just tossing this around um, before we started recording, um, and I, I had the exact same thought that um, Austin Davis right now, it, to me, is just kind of like an experiment and seeing if you have anything. And I think in the time that he's recovering – if Davis turns out to be bad, like um, his previous years have suggested, then I think Darwin's and slots in there instead of Davis. Like Davis is kind of at like that bottom rung of the bullpen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Davis is, you know, continues this, the, I mean, he's only pitched like four innings in the majors the, um, this year, but they've been stronger. All of like you, you outlined the reports uh, on the primer about how he's looked a lot stronger and is striking more guys out this year. If that continues at the major league level, um, then he would, yeah, he would basically just be taking Darwinson's spot um, as Darwinson worked to figure out the walk issues before coming back. But if he's not good, regresses a bit, then I would just slot Darwinson right back in there. I think that's fair. Um, and both are lefties, so that makes kind of a lot of sense in that regard. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Austin Davis looks. We've only seen him one time, and he looked fine, but you know, I'm going to be looking for that. I mean, we, the, the Red Sox have been very fair to Darwin's and Hernandez this year. They've given him a tremendous amount of run, and you know, he still showed that he has some some limitations in terms of his ability to throw strikes. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing works out. But then he's um, also gone through stretches where he struck out like 20 batters in a row. <laughs> well, the stuff is filthy. Yeah. I mean, the the slider-fastball combination from him is it's ridiculous when he's when he's throwing strikes. Yeah. But it's just... Uh, that consistency. Yeah, and it's something he's struggled with for his entire career, and it's a reason why he was converted to relief. I mean, he started off yeah. as a fairly highly touted starter, uh, starting prospect. And then, you know, everybody was like, well, it might be easier for him to throw strikes, you know, pitching from the stretch and, you know, going for shorter periods of time. And it just seems those issues are, are pretty difficult to change for him. Yeah. And they've clearly gotten worse. Like, um, I wrote before the trade deadline, a piece about how the Red Sox bullpen walks too many batters and they should try and get a reliever who doesn't do that. Uh, and there are two uh, 
two pitchers in the bullpen who have more walks than strikeouts, and it was really only due to Darwinson's filth that he was not the third. <laughs> because, uh, like you outlined, it's like far too high. Yep. It's like uh, bad Matt Barnes, um, but even yeah, worse. exactly. Like, when, before Matt Barnes figured it out, uh, times two, so... And uh, I would say Matt Barnes has probably a little bit better stuff than Darwin's and even. It's close, but I'd probably give the nod to Barnes. Yeah. All right. So um, to wrap up our thoughts on the 26-man roster, um, I put together what the uh, healthy Red Sox 26-man roster could look like uh, as the team gets ready and heads into the playoffs if we're looking that far out. And this, you know, there's still a lot of ground to cover but the team could look like this in you know probably by mid august so we could have christian vasquez at catcher uh kyle schwarber at first base kike hernandez at second base xander bogarts at shortstop rafael devers at third base uh, alex verdugo in left field jaron duran in center field right field hunter renfro dh jd martinez and I went with a four-man bench here, Keaton. I went with Kevin Ploiecki, Marwin Gonzalez, Christian Arroyo when he's healthy, and Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, do you see the team returning to a four-man bench like I do? Or do you think that they're going to run with nine relief pitchers throughout the playoffs? And, and I guess even before the playoffs into kind of crunch time as the, this division comes down to the wire like we think it will. I think they go with the four-man bench because um, looking at all of these guys that you put together, like Dahlbeck would be the casualty there, right, if they went with a three-man bench? I think so, yeah. And I don't think – like I think they want to be able to use him as a platoon um, at like sometimes (laughs) at first base. Um, Or, I mean, like we outlined, like even – having Shore Harbor split time at first in the outfield and you need someone to cover first base. And I think that's who they want. I mean, I guess they could dump Arroyo or Marwin there, but um, I feel Probably like not Arroyo a... after what happened to him there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, that experiment might be over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess uh, Pueki definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, we got a listener question, uh, jump the gun here about uh, maybe having giving Vasquez time at first mm-hmm. uh, and having Plawecki, uh catch. But then again, that means Plawecki would stay on the roster. So, yeah, I don't see how they don't go with the four-man bench. And then the other piece is, like we just kind of talked about, I mean, you're going to rattle off all the names in, in the bullpen. Um, bullpen's pretty good. And I don't think it's pretty good. Yeah. Like, I don't think they need to just keep an extra arm to keep an extra arm. Like if you're not going to use it, then who cares? Why have that spot be there? And I don't think they need to force somebody into being in the bullpen just to have a three man bench. I think it's probably the strongest with the names that you're going to list. Yeah. So I don't think they need to unnecessarily add someone there and then to keep giving Dahlbeck time at first uh, or just time in general. I don't think sending him down makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you because, like you said, Keaton, uh, Plowecki and Marwin are locks for the bench. And then what it comes down to is, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck can back up first base and third base and hit lefties. And Christian Arroyo, he needs to be on this team uh, when when he's back and he's healthy because he's been such a dangerous pinch hitter uh, late in games. That's well documented this year so you you need that bench more than you need a ninth bullpen arm completely agree with you and uh yeah let's let's get to the pitching side of things so the rotation could look like chris sale nathan evaldi erod pavetta perez uh if you want to sub out perez for hauk there uh you know i totally get that argument uh and i think there's a lot of merit to that potentially they do it in the bullpen though uh this is perhaps the strength of the team closer matt barnes uh, Adam Adovino, Garrett Whitlock, Josh Taylor, Hirokazu Sawamura, Hansel Robles, Austin Davis, and either Tanner Houck 
or uh, Martin Perez. I had Hauk there just because I think he's a little bit more dangerous in that multi-inning bullpen role. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about that potential 26-man roster. There is not a lot of fat to be trimmed um, from that. If you want to make the argument that you know maybe you um, you know get rid of Austin Davis and put in Darwin's in, or just run with one lefty and put in uh, you know Phillips Valdez uh, as another option there, I'm not going to fight you too much on it. But I think that that's a really really solid bullpen. I agree. It's the starting pitching that. Um gives me the most pause and I would like to see him go beef it up somehow. I mean, it's possible that they they still can with the non-waiver trade deadline. And no, they, that's gone. Oh, well then, never mind. It's gone now. Great. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the the whole uh, the trade deadline is just a one-date thing now. So, All right. Well, this then, is yeah. this is what they have. Yeah, and that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean I mean yeah, I'm certainly optimistic about it. Like the ceiling of those guys we've seen has been really good. And then um you know, that was how they jumped out to playing whatever it was, like six fifty ball the first two months of the season or whatever <laughs> whatever it was. So I just need a little bit more of that. Let's get through, you know. Hopefully, you know, as we're now in August, we're past the, the dog days and now it's the stretch run and, and people start to kind of, you know, focus in a lot more, realize that the end's in sight. Yeah. Maybe that gives them a bit of a boost. Obviously, I mean, Chris Sale, having him back in the rotation should be a huge boost to everybody. Yeah, I mean, so that's a... Hoping they ride those waves. It's not quite a Max Scherzer-like addition, but it's it's close. It's it's Yeah. I would say if we looked at all the names that were moved at the trade deadline, that a healthy Chris Sale would be second to Max Scherzer in terms of guys that you would want to add to your team. So even though it is not a trade deadline uh, addition, you know, coming on the 12th, if it does, and we think it will, um, that's a huge boost here. And and also, as we're going to go through right here with the, the teams in the division, um, there's a lot of question marks in the rotation of the other teams in the AL East, including the Rays. Um, so, you know, I, I feel a little bit better about that that group of, of Sale, Ivaldi, Erod, Pavetta, Perez, uh, knowing the names that are on the other teams uh, in the division as well. So let's uh, let's get right to that right now. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we're going to do is we're going to re-rank the division after the trade deadline. And in order to do that, I'm going to just sum up some of the moves that the other teams in the American League East have made. I'm not going to talk about Baltimore because that's pointless. Um, But we will talk about the Rays, the Yankees, and Toronto. So let's start with the Rays here. Um, The Rays just swept us at the Trop. That was not great. Uh, They are now in first place by a game and a half. They added Nelson Cruz. They did that before the trade deadline. Uh, Subtracted Diego Castillo. In uh, Rich Hill, but they replaced Rich Hill internally with Luis Patino. They added JT Chargua and DJ Johnson to the pen. Um, to me, this really boils down to the fact that like they added a big bat in in Nelson Cruz. I think Patino is probably an upgrade over uh, Rich Hill, who they traded. Um, 
I kind of think they are. I, I, they are a better team, right? They're a better team than they were before they acquired Nelson Cruz. Yeah, I would but think not, so. Not like I don't think they're tremendously better because I still think there's a lot of questions. You know, sending out Diego Castillo and replacing him effectively with Chargua and DJ Johnson, I think that's a net downgrade. And then Patino, he's a young guy. He's inconsistent. Not that Rich Hill is the model of consistency at his age either, but um, I think you could make the argument Patino has a, a little bit of a higher ceiling than than Rich Hill. <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah, and and he had a pretty awesome start his last time out too. So he looks good. Um, the Yankees, Yankees did a few things. They did three things, in, in fact, three main things. They did five things, but three main moves. Um, added two left-handed bats to a Yankees lineup that has been uh, criticized for not being very left-handed in a park that needs left-handed bats. Uh, They added Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, just gobs of power there. And they added left-handed pitcher Andrew Haney, who has an ERA over five this year, has not been very good. Um, But at the same time, Domingo Herman went on the IL. They added Jolie Rodriguez, who came over in the Joey Gallo trade, and Clay Holmes uh, to their bullpen. Um, Do we feel like this moved the needle enough for a Yankees team that has scored about a hundred fewer runs than the Yankees or than the Red Sox and uh, Rays have. No, because well, I mean they're certainly better um, with those two guys in the lineup, but the pitching is still uh, like pretty inconsistent. Garrett Cole hasn't been great since the sticky stuff. He's had good starts, but more bad starts than good. Um, Tyon's not having a great year. You mentioned Heaney, also not great. It. It seems to me like they're putting a lot on getting Severino back and Kluber back, being able to like carry them. But they're they're so far behind. I don't think it's going to be enough. Like they they have to just have a stupid last sixty games here to like really make up um, the difference. I mean, at least in the division, what are they? Maybe they're only like three back in the wild card. I guess I didn't pull that up, but it still is an uphill battle. So, I mean, I don't think – I think the division's kind of out of it, and maybe that's what their play is. Um, yeah, they're just, two and a half back in the wild card. Yeah. So that's that's in play, but I don't think the division is. And so if they think they can just squeak in and then ride that pitching in the playoffs, I suppose that makes sense. But that's I was surprised that that was the way that they went because it's hoping that that all works out seems like a long shot. Yeah, Haney does nothing for me, uh, and and with Domingo Herman hitting the IL, which is kind of bad luck for them, um, he's one of their better starters. We're one of their most consistent starters. Definitely dominated the Red Sox last time out. Um, you know that that part of things still sucks, as you said. They have scored uh, the second fewest runs in all of the American League. The only team that scored fewer runs than them is the Texas Rangers. Um, They've scored 425 runs at this point in the season. Um, if you look at the elite teams, Toronto Blue Jays, 530. Red Sox, 530. Tampa Bay Rays, 531. Um, Houston Astros, 580. Um, they are not anywhere close. Those two bats are good. We know Anthony Rizzo's in his decline phase, but he's still a really good bat. I'd love to have him. Joey Gallo is awesome. But, man, I just think it's too little too late at this point for them. Yeah. Same. Doesn't move the needle. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on to the Toronto Blue Jays. This was really interesting. Uh, Toronto really beefed up their bullpen. They added Brad Hand, Joaquin Soria, two guys with closing experience. Uh, Longman Trevor Richards, uh, Adam Simber, who they acquired uh, at the end of June, but I wanted to include him too because he's been awesome since he's been on their team. But the big one, I'm burying the lead here, uh, they acquired Jose Berrios from the Twins, um, who is a very good player, but they gave up a lot uh, to get him, <laughs> like a tremendous amount. They gave up Austin Martin and um, uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, um, who are two of their better prospects. Um, Simeon Woods Richards is a pitcher, uh, and Austin Martin, he's an outfielder slash infielder uh, from Vanderbilt, who was a high pick in the draft uh, just a couple of years ago. 
Uh, they definitely paid up to get a guy in Berrios who has been a little bit inconsistent. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers right here. He's got a 331 ERA on this season, but he was one of these guys that if you look at his numbers, he's 27 years old, um, over his career, he's definitely um, had a lot of blowups. You know, if you if you look at the number, if you look at his game log over the years that he's pitched, this is definitely his best season, but he's had a lot of years where, you know, he gives up a lot of uh, runs. He gives up five-plus runs kind of often. He's very, very similar to Eduardo Rodriguez, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I mean, he's been more consistent than Erod. I mean, at least he has consistently had ERAs under four. Um, his ERA in 2020 was exactly four. The rest, um, his the only time he had an ERA over four was – his very first major league debut in the 50 innings that he pitched in 2016. Um, this one, this it's like, I, I love these moves because obviously Toronto's offense is spectacular. One yeah, through nine. Really is. That is a massive, massive lineup. Uh, Robbie Ray is having a great year. Hyunjin Ryu is really good. Alex Manoa, nice young arm there. Adding Barrios to those guys. That's a really potent four pitchers. Um, Steven Matz and Ross Stripling are bad. <laughs> so, um, still an issue there. But then the bullpen, that was their biggest issue, right? They had nobody in the bullpen. Um, they were kind of getting things out of uh, Romano, who was their closer. Then they had Hand, Soria, and um, who was the other one? Somebody. Uh, uh, Richards? Richards. Oh, Simber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that – that's huge for them. But again, it's it's like a it's the same thing with the Yankees. Like I really love well, I love the Toronto's moves more uh than the Yankees moves, but it just seems like it's too little too late. However, I have way more faith in the moves that Toronto made to squeak into the playoffs as a wild card and can make a deep run from there. This team I'd be afraid of. But it yeah. seems it's still a pretty uphill battle to make that happen and particularly now because they have to um they're a a game and a half behind the yankees so they have to surpass the yankees at some point too so they have their work cut out for them i love the moves though i just think it's just going to come up just short yeah i love the moves too and um i love the aggressiveness here if we were starting from just scratch i think if this season started today i might rank toronto number one in yeah. the American League East, uh, yeah. with these moves. I mean, I know we're we're about to rank them, but that was like, that was what I wanted you to clarify before we started recording. Was like, <laughs> yeah. are we ranking them like blank slate, or also including the fact that Toronto's eight and a half games back? Because that makes a huge difference. Yeah, no, totally. It, it makes a huge difference, and you know the the way that Manoa has pitched since he's come up, arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball at this point, coupled with. Berrios, Ray, and Ryu, um, you can make a pretty solid argument that's the best rotation in the American League East, and I'm not sure it's that close. I don't think it is either. It yeah. absolutely is. Um, so, the, yeah, this, this team doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. They scare the hell out of me. Uh, they yeah. are going to be a very tough team uh, going forward, but that being said, eight and a half games back, that's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, especially because the Rays and Red Sox are very good. Um, so, And it's yeah. not only just the pure games back, too. It's the teams in front of them that they have to jump. Right. And the, and the more teams that are in front of you, the more breaks you need to go your way. So I, it just seems like it is really a difficult task ahead of them. But um, if I was, I mean, looking at, like, the, the wild card race, well, I don't include the division in that as well. Um, Toronto would be the team that I would pick to rattle off like 15 in a row and, and really shake things up because I really like the moves that they did. They made Yeah. It. And they're going to be moving back to their home park for the first time in what, like two years. Um, yeah. So I imagine that that's going to be some type of emotional boost too, for the team that's been, you know, road warriors for, you know, since COVID started. So that's going to be kind of kind of cool for them. The way the percentages look right now, according to Fangraphs, uh, the Rays are 83.5% to make the playoffs with a 40.3% chance to win the division. Red Sox have a 42.5% chance to, to win the division and an 84.8% chance to make the playoffs. So those are both the highest in the division. 
Yankees at 12.4% to win the division. Blue Jays at 4.8% to win the division. Yankees at 54.9% to make the playoffs. And Blue Jays at 29.9% chance to make the playoffs. Um, so let's let's predict some things out, Keaton. Um, how do you think the division is ultimately going to finish up? Uh, and kind of what is your power ranking of these teams moving forward, taking into account uh, the deadline moves and and what the rosters look like and then also kind of where the teams are in the standings i think the red sox getting chris sale back um is just huge i know it is it's putting a lot of pressure on a guy coming back from tommy john but if i were to load up a bunch of pressure on a pitcher and feel pretty confident it was going to work out chris sale would be the dude yep so i <laughs> I know we should temper our expectations and there's more data to suggest that like pitchers get more back to themselves at like 18 months removed rather than 12 months removed. So there's still probably going to be some transition time, but I feel like Chris sale wouldn't allow that. <laughs> so I just feel better about it. And, and that to me, I think is what is going to give them the boost because I mean, you outlined all of the inconsistencies that Tampa Bay has. Their bullpen is good. Their lineup is surprisingly good. Um, but the starting pitching is uncharacteristically bad. And I'd like I think getting Chris Sale back and hopefully Tanner Houck in some form um, getting meaningful innings, whether it's long relief or as a starter, um, is enough to to put the Red Sox pitching, I think, far enough ahead of Tampa. Uh, I think the Red Sox are going to win the division. Tampa 2, Toronto 3, Yankees 4. I agree with that ranking. I guess I have one more question for you moving forward here. So looking at the standings, uh, I agree with those ranks. Um, I also think that the White Sox are going to win the Central. I think that's the only team that's going to get into the playoffs. I think the Astros win the the West. Uh, but out of the Oakland A's and the Toronto Blue Jays, because Oakland made a bunch of moves too. Which of those makes the uh, the playoffs for you? I think it's Oakland. Yeah, I like the moves that they made, and I thought they were already good. That's it's just kind of like another thing of like the Toronto. Again, it just seems like it's just a little bit too little, too late. But I mean, if they keep these guys together, like keep that bullpen and those starters together um, for a full year. Game changer next year. AL East next year is going to be a bonanza. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know who to pick out of those two teams. Um, I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. I, I, get I think it. I think they're, they're great. Both of these teams are great. Um, but I'd just rather have the Blue Jays rotation than Oakland's rotation. I'd rather have the Blue Jays bullpen then Oakland's bullpen, and I'd rather have the Blue Jays lineup. So, yeah, can't pick against the Blue Jays. I think we're going to get three playoff teams from the uh, American League East. I love that, and in particular, the fact that the Yankees would be the ones left up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is sweet. That is really sweet. Um, All right, cool. Uh, We're going to just give you a little bit of news, and then we're going to get to your listener questions today. Red Sox uh, did not sign second-round draft pick, 40th overall pick, Judd Fabian. He has decided to go back to Florida. Uh, That is unfortunate. Uh, He wanted $3 bucks. They were offering around two. Slot for his pick was 1.85. So he's going back to school. Uh, The Red Sox also did not sign Zach Earhart. Uh, Peyton Green, who no one expected them to sign, fifth, 15th round pick, highly touted high school shortstop, and then Josh Hood. So they ended up signing uh, 16 out of the 20 draft picks. I'd say that is a tremendous success. Yeah. Uh, and they don't lose the pick. Uh, for those of you out there who are concerned that, you know, the Judd Fabian pick, you know, because they don't ever really pick that high in the second round. Uh, that that's going to go away. No, they they get a uh, the forty first pick uh, in next year's draft, so they will get a, a chance to sign somebody else. Um, 
it's debatable whether or not that was a mistake to try and uh, pick him there instead of going with somebody who was maybe a little bit more signable. But, um, you know, they gambled and it, it didn't work out. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that situation? No, just, uh, you know, I was hoping they would get him signed, but I, I get it. Yeah. And everybody gets a, an extra year of eligibility. Um because of covid so you know it's it, it gives these guys a little bit more flexibility uh, a little bit more leverage going back to school um and then marcus wilson was claimed off of waivers by seattle so he is gone from the organization the outfield depth gets a little uh, more shallow does this mean anything to you um i don't know if it means anything but i mean he was having a really nice year so it's just kind of a bummer that it didn't work out, but I get why it didn't work out. He was just too far gone. I think I'm surprised that nobody else wanted to take a chance. They couldn't work out like a long shot reliever or something for him in an actual trade and surprised that it was just a clean cut and claim. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little, well, I'm not surprised that he got claimed. I thought he was going to get claimed. Um, I, I think it just highlights a weakness in the upper minors for the Red Sox in, um, you know, the outfield. Um, they just really don't have very many guys who are close to being ready. Michael Geddes, Johan Mieses, um, Tate Matheny, those are kind of your guys um, who are outfield depth at this point. And, uh, you know, it's not, not a great place to be um, in that area. Devlin Granberg, if you want to go down to to double a portland but um yeah just not a not a ton of depth there so okay let's get to your listener questions um first listener question comes from seth he says should they consider calling up yairo munoz uh depending on the severity of his injury uh yairo munoz was just injured in in a triple a game um he not i don't think they will or need to consider uh calling up Yero Munoz at any point. Like, several things would have to go very wrong for that to happen. Yes. Yep. Full agreement. Yeah. Um, and even though Munoz can play the outfield, I mean, they have a lot of guys on this roster um, or coming back to this roster. You know, J.D. Martinez can play the outfield. Marvin Gonzalez can play the outfield. Um, Kyle Schwarber, who's set to join the team, can play the outfield. There's just so many guys who can do it. Um, before him that yeah i don't don't see that happening um sam biggs has our next question this is the one that we sort of answered already he says am i crazy for thinking that vasquez could start to see some time at first base he has better splits against righties and would continue to give dahlbeck the chance to sit uh I don't think so. And he, he says he was worried that this is a simple one, one word answer. Um, what do you think about this, uh, Keaton? Do you think that they would ever consider putting Vasquez there for any meaningful amount of time? Sure. I mean, they put Vasquez at second. Yeah, but if Vasquez is playing against righties at first base, what is he not doing? Catching? Yeah. Pilecki, though. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure to put on Pilecki, isn't it? Hmm. Is it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I, I think it's an like... interesting concept. I definitely don't think it's a one word answer. I think the issue is that um, they don't want Dalek to sit, and so that that's the hang up. See, I don't think they care about Dalek sitting. I think that they don't want. Well, if he's over... if you're gonna put Vasquez at first, yep, and have him be that platoon, right? I assume that would be platooning with Schwarber, right? Then what would be the point of Dahlbach? Where would he fit? Well, he would only play against lefties, really. That would be that'd wouldn't, be it. Right? But wouldn't that be Oh, I see what you're saying. He'd just be the short side of a first base platoon at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking the other way. You'd go with Vasquez um and Schwarber. And not uh, Vasquez and Thalbach. I get that now. I mean, I think it's interesting. It wouldn't shock me if it happens. I don't think. I think you're you're a qualifier there of like significant time. That's probably not the case. Um, a couple games. I wouldn't be surprised if Cora utilized Vasquez that way. I think it's a fun concept. 
I think you would have to call Connor Wong up to the roster uh, to make it work with Vasquez playing the strong side of the platoon at first base because I don't think Ploiecki could go from catching as much as he has been to catching that much. I think it would actually be more likely to play Ploiecki uh, more at first base and continue to allow Vasquez to catch. Uh, but in any eventuality, I think you'd need Wong on the roster uh, to really make that a viable strategy. And I also just think that they value Christian Vasquez's game calling and defense uh, too much to, to do this. That's why they went out and got Schwarber, man. Yeah. Occam's razor. Sometimes the simplest is the right answer, right? That's true. Okay. Angel Rondon has our next question. He says, why are people so fast to turn on a team? Every team goes through rough times. It's about how they respond to them that's important. Full stop agree. Well, uh, yes, but <laughs> here's okay. my qualifier. All right. Go ahead. Um, the tough stretch for the Red Sox highlighted some inefficiencies in this team, and the reaction would have been to respond to them. And they didn't. So that's why I'm annoyed. Like, <laughs> seeing how bad the starting pitching has been, the response should have been, do something about it. Right. And they did not. So that doesn't fill me with a ton of hope. Yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, dating back to the Blue Jays series, uh, which started on the 26th, they split with the Blue Jays, um, but then they lost five straight games. On the 29th, 30th, 31st, um, and first. So, no, four straight games. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's their longest losing streak of the season. So, I don't think that's a huge deal. I think it's a huge deal that we keep seeing the same mistakes or, or same things happen over and over again. Yeah. I can't see Bobby Dahlbeck get up with the bases loaded and one out and strike out. And do like literally nothing um, any more than than we have, but I mean clearly uh, we are not doom and gloom about these Red Sox. We both think they're going to hang on, win the division. So yeah, you know I, I think it, it's easy to overreact, especially when you're dropping first place to the Rays. Um, That's the thing is the like, top. So at the top, we out. I just like I outlined how bad the starting pitching has been. Um since may right for the past three months um and they're still in first the that entire time so it's whatever they're doing is working it's just you know frustrating to see but that's the thing is like so doing the precap podcast and reviewing every single series you pick up on those things and you you made a good point like the game yesterday was a one-run loss and they stranded 21 men on base Ugh, I know. And had the bases loaded in back-to-back innings and got no runs. Yeah. And that's been a common theme is when they have been struggling, it's because the offense hasn't been able to string hits together to score runs. But the offense isn't the issue. It's that starting pitching tends to bury them. And then more often than not, the offense is able to dig out of it. But the Red Sox struggle when – the starting pitching struggles and the the offense can't dig them out of it. And they've had a few games where they've lost by one or two runs and stranded over 20. And that's just real tough to swallow. Um, although yeah. the response, Schwarber, should help that. I agree. Exactly right. Our next question comes from Wind is Cheaper Than Coal. And he says, or he, she says, uh, I don't know your gender. Uh, who finishes rehab and plays the game first, Sale or Schwarber? What do you think? I'm going to go Sale because uh, technically Schwarber doesn't have a timeline to return yet, like an actual timeline to return, um, and hasn't started a rehab stint yet where Sale, um, you know, we're very clearly at the end for him. So I think Sale, but Schwarber not far behind. I will just take I think they're gonna return on like the same day, honestly. I would uh, love it. So I don't know. But but for argument's sake, I will say that uh Schwarber returns for the the start of the Rays series. So beat beats sale by a day. Let's just say that. 
as long as um, they're both there when I'm I'm there, great. And no, yeah. the last thing to pray for is good weather. Yeah, that's that's very ideal. Um, Angel Rondon has a second question here. It says, "What's your ideal five man rotation when Sale or and Hauk are up?" Um, for for me, it's still Martin Perez. For you, it's it's Hauk. Um, with with Perez out and Richards out, but we both have Richards out. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, next one, the surfing guy says, why do you think the Red Sox never tried JD at first base? That's kind of interesting. Why do you think so? Uh, I think because of his back issues, the mm. stretches and movements at first are much mm. more strenuous on your back than DH and the outfield. And mm. because he's had several years in a row with back issues, I think they wanted to avoid that. That is a good thought. Yeah, and I hadn't uh, really considered that as a reason why, but that makes a whole ton of sense. Uh, the next question comes from E. He says, why am I still watching Dahlbeck strike out in huge spots? Ugh, I know. This is like the worst thing. This is this is one of the things that pisses me off so much is Dahlbeck just getting up there and catching air instead of making even a little bit of contact. Um for lack of a better option, again, like the whole this is why they went out and got Schwarber thing, man. Yeah, hopefully you won't have to watch it for much longer. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, and finally, Sox Junkie says, can we get a segment where the OTM stands on uh, extending E-Rod? Um, I can safely say I wrote an article at the beginning of this season about all the reasons why the Red Sox should not extend Erod, and all he's done is prove me correct. So I, I am very strongly in team. Do not extend Erod. Um, where do you stand on this, Keaton? I would be okay with it if it was very inexpensive, but I don't think he's gonna want to go that route. Um, nor should he. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's gonna happen. He's just way too inconsistent for me. Yeah. Uh, way too injury prone. So um, and they'll have the funds to go add better pieces. And there are so many pieces out there. Yeah, yeah. It's all kind of it's all coming up Red Sox. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode. We hope this uh, fulfilled your you scratched your itch uh, for all things trade deadline and getting into the minutia of the roster. Again, if you have any questions for us, uh, we always do a call for questions on our Over the Monster account right before we podcast. Um, or you can just shout us out individually on our Twitter handles. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at, at Deb Jake. Um, you can find Over the Monster at Over the Monster. Uh, and you can find our other podcasts right here where you're listening to this one. Uh, in addition to this podcast, we have the over the Monster podcast with Matt and Brian. We also have the Red Sox on Deck podcast with Shelly and Bob. And we also have uh, Keaton and Shelly doing the precap podcast, previewing and recapping uh, all of the Red Sox series. So thank you for joining us today. Keaton, thank you. And we will be with you again next week. 